Chapter 12 of The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Shanahan. The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 12 A Lack of Caution. When Nona Davis finally came downstairs and out onto the piazza, to her surprise, she saw Eugenio Zoli sitting there talking to Carlo. Apparently, no one had heard her approach. She stood for a moment in the doorway studying the little group of people. Bianca and Sonia were a little apart from the two young men, and Bianca looked as fresh and fragrant in her pale pink dress as she had at the beginning of the warm summer afternoon. Sonia was attired in a simple lilac muslin and had put a big white rose into her belt. But Nona did not look at them long. Really, she was more interested in watching Eugene Ozzoli. Upstairs in her own room, Nona had at last confessed to herself that she really liked the Italian soldier and artist very much when once considered how brief a time they had known each other. Also, she believed he liked her. He had said nothing, but there had been in his voice and manner a something vaguely flattering and appealing. Perhaps Nona did not appreciate that there are men who have this charm in their manner toward all women, or if she did know, Eugenio did not create this impression. She now wondered again if Bianca had given him her message. Absurdly, she felt the least little bit annoyed that Eugenio had evidently been happy to remain at the villa without the prospect of seeing her. But he was talking to Carlo in the kindest and most sympathetic fashion. Certainly, Eugenio Zoli gave one the impression of being older than he really was. Everybody thought the same thing concerning him. Nona understood that he was only a few years older than she, and yet he had the poise of a man of wide experience and Nona thought she had grown rather tired of boys. Her two years' work in Europe in Red Cross nursing oftentimes made her feel as if her own girlhood were far behind. So much pain and so much fortitude, so much tragedy, and yet, through it all, the quality of divine humor, such as Dante must have meant to suggest in his divine comedy, she had seen behind the great battlefronts. But you must feel very proud and happy to know you have given so much to Italy, Signor Navarra. Eugenio Zoli was saying with deeper feeling than he generally expressed. It is very splendid to me. You were brought up in the United States. Italy cannot have meant so much to you. With us who have always lived here in Italy, the case is very different. It is natural that we should wish to give our lives gladly to see our country great again to see Italy return to the old splendor that was once hers, but with a newer, more democratic ideal than the Italy of the past. Then, when Carlo made no reply, Nona walked out to join her friends. Immediately, Eugenio Zoli rose, bowing to Nona in his perfectly courteous fashion. He showed not the least trace of resentment because of her having sent him word she did not wish to see him during the afternoon. Moreover, as he made no reference to this fact, Nona found herself vaguely apologizing. She could not apologize in any downright fashion, 
for she did not yet know whether Eugenio had suggested any wish to see her on this particular afternoon. I think I have been feeling rather used up by the heat. Anyhow, I have been too cross to see anyone until now. I am glad you are here, Signor Zoli, Nona said frankly, after she had shaken hands, flushing a little, but at the same time smiling half humorously and half with an appeal for forgiveness. Eugenio answered straightforwardly, I should like to have seen you earlier, Miss Davis. I wished you to spend the afternoon at the studio with me, if it were possible, and would not have bored you, but Bianca told me you expected to have something else to do. Before Nona could reply, hearing an exclamation from Sonia, she glanced up and saw Dr. Latham's large figure walking slowly up their path. The American doctor had again come uninvited to the Villa Felice. Nona had a flash of wondering if, after all, he did not dislike Sonia so much as he pretended. But, of course, he had the excuse of desiring to see Carlo Navarra, who was still his patient, although no longer at the hospital. As soon as the doctor had shaken hands with Sonia, he turned directly to Carlo. As Nona chanced to be standing near, he simply smiled his greeting to her and bowed rather brusquely to her companion. Well, Navarra, you are looking in much better shape than when I saw you last, but pretty tired. Have your nurses been too devoted? Carlo shook his head and smiled. He and the doctor had become good friends and understood each other fairly well by this time. Suppose I bundle you off to your room and have a talk with you there. But at this, Carlo shook his head. If I could stay a little longer until after tea I would not try to talk, he answered. Dr. Latham listened with his great head a little to one side. All right, only half an hour more, but you're talking much better, boy, than I dreamed you could in so short a time. You have done wonderful things for your patient, Dr. Latham, Eugenio Zoli said with his usual courtesy. But Dr. Latham shook his head almost angrily. I have done nothing at all. Navarro was almost healed of his wound when he came to Florence. I mean the outside wound. I had to send him out here to the Villa Felice for the wound that went deeper. That is what we doctors have been doing ever since this war began, healing the wounds of the body when we couldn't send our patients to women for the healing we cannot give. The big doctor spoke with such earnestness and sweetness that Nona felt her eyes suddenly swimming in tears. Sonia crossed over to him. Thank you, doctor, she said, but I wish some day men would learn not to kill one another. We women sometimes grow very weary trying to bind up the wounds that war has made. Try to make the suffering a little less, for all our efforts are so unavailing if men will go on fighting forever. Oh, I have tried to see, tried to be inspired by the great lessons this war has taught us, the great results it has already achieved, but I still cannot believe in war. No more can I, madame, Dr. Latham returned grimly. I wonder, too, how many of the men and women engaged in this business of trying to heal do believe in it, some day, perhaps. But Eugenio Zoli interrupted with a sudden change of voice and manner, so conspicuous 
that his companions looked at him in surprise. For my part, I hope that the making of war may never end. What else is there except that we fight for the things we hold dear? Death is inevitable. For my part, I should prefer the soldier's death. Again, Dr. Latham shook his head. But we are not talking of death, young man. However, you Italians are all alike, gallant lovers and gallant soldiers. Sonia had made a slight movement of her hand toward Carlo, which had checked the seriousness of the American doctor's argument. The boy was sitting up with his face white and strained. Their argument had touched him far too closely. Moreover, Nanina came out on the piazza at this instant bearing the inevitable tea tray. Cakes were a forbidden luxury in Italy these days, but Sonia managed to supply her guests with tiny sandwiches and sweet crackers. Eugenio and Dr. Latham had sat down near each other and were evidently not prepared to give up their conversation. The great Italian drive will begin in a short time, Dr. Latham, not far from Trieste. All winter we have been preparing. Eugenio went on, speaking with an earnestness and enthusiasm which made Nona stare at him with mild amazement. He had always seemed to her a casual person, perhaps not very earnest about anything, except to make himself agreeable and to work at his art when he was in the proper mood. But now his eyes had become steady, determined. They need me at the front, Dr. Latham. I mean, they need all the fellows they can get just now to reconnoiter over the lines, he went on enthusiastically. We have been watching the Austrian fellows pretty closely. You see, I don't think the people in the United States have ever altogether understood how seriously we Italians have prepared for our share in the war. There have been reasons why we have had to wait for our great offensive, but in a short time... Sonia was pouring the tea, but she now turned around. Nanina was still standing behind her chair and seemed to be listening. It was but natural that she should be interested in what Eugenio Zoli was saying. You can go now, Nanina, Sonia ordered gently. There is no need to trouble you to help us any further. But the next moment she added, I am sorry, but you seem to have forgotten the lemon. Would you mind getting it for us? It was most unusual that Nanina should be forgetful. She must have been worried over something this afternoon, for she was forced to go back to her kitchen and return a third time before the tea service was finally complete. However, no one minded waiting, especially as Eugenio continued talking of the Italian war plans. I wish you would take a look at me, Dr. Latham, and see if you don't think I am fit to get back to work. My physician in Florence is an old friend of my mother's, and a little more careful, I think, than he need be. It will be a great favor, he urged at length. Dr. Latham nodded. Very well, if your doctor does not object. But I expect you are too impatient, Zoli. I've been hearing rumors myself, and I've an idea it may be several weeks before the Italian drive begins. Do you not intend to wait until the British monitors come to your aid? Nona stirred uncomfortably and exchanged a sympathetic glance with Carlo. Evidently, they both felt that Dr. Latham and Eugenio were talking far too openly. There could be no danger in speaking freely here at Sonia's villa, perhaps, but Nona had been through so many unexpected experiences since the war began 
that she believed no one with information of any value could be too cautious. End of chapter 12